How do I discern what really matters? If, if Satan is, I, I often call him the beautiful deceiver. He takes things that matter so much to us that he convinces us to guard things that are harming us, addictions, bad habits, a need for equality, to fight injustice, to better ourselves, things that we hold so dearly, almost like it's an organ that pumps blood and gives us life. Isn't that almost the most amazing part of being deceived? Is that Satan convinces us that if we don't have it, we will suffer. And we don't want to suffer, so it continues to, to, to find this cycle of coping. As we mature in Christ, as we grow in community, we don't really need to justify our position anymore. It's already laid out for us. So if that's the case, let's move backwards for a moment. Because if you don't know how to offer grace, how to engage love, how to have purpose, direction, belonging, then you're going to want to avoid the stress of trying to find those things on your own. This is why I'm talking about a culture of coping. Something that everyone has in common. We're all pulled many, many different ways. So what is coping? Alleviate stress, right? I mean, it's a sliding, it's a hiding, it's a moving away from, it's an avoidance. And, and we have to cope because we don't trust that God has a plan. Now we say it, Christians say it all the time, God has a plan, he's got everything under control. But somehow it doesn't translate from brain and thoughts to how and action. It's insane to me how many people are stressed out. Over what? Do you know what I hear the most? They're stressed out about what people are saying about them. Who cares? Who cares what they're saying about you? If you're part of the body of Christ, who cares? Now, granted, they might be challenging you or, or pointing out something that you should fix. But then fix it. Or ask them to help you fix it. We're in this together. We're not solo operators. So then the question comes up, is there healthy coping? I don't think so. That's like saying, you know, is there healthy drug use? I don't know that there is. When drugs are used to avoid a situation, to give you an out from reality, then there's a serious problem. Basically, coping is avoiding. And if you're avoiding stress, you're avoiding those opportunities to grow, you will not grow. If you're not growing, you're dying. Stagnation is not, is not a spot in which we want to be as humans. As Christians, definitely not. I think that people who start small coping in, in specific areas of life, when it gets out of control, it quickly takes over. And, and you see that their family, the way they connect is one of coping. The way that they work is coping. They cope at work. They're drinking coffee. You ask them how their day is going, and they're like, I'm so stressed. Oh, we're so busy. We're so busy. 
coping seems to exist with excuses. Excuses. I'll tell you what doesn't exist with coping is vulnerability. With vulnerability. I was talking to a woman, uh, a Christian leader, um, actually yesterday. And I was just, I was so amazed by her journals. She was sharing some of her journal entries with me. And I was like, this stuff is, and before I could finish, she was like, it's dark. It's dark. It's it's sad, Michael. It's so sad. And I said, I looked at her and I said, you know, it's, it's all those things and more. Because for someone who has darkness and sadness inside them and, and feels that pain, being home to heartache as it, people share their stories all the time, I said, it was so comforting to read just a little bit of your journals and, and see that I'm not alone. It's like when your parent says, Michael, don't worry, you're not alone. I'm here for you. And what you ask, I will provide. That's, that's great. And that's wonderful. And that is something I hold on dearly as my Heavenly Father tells me that as his child. But for one of my siblings, for a Christian brother or sister, one of my siblings, let's say, to say that, hey, listen, you're not alone. I'm going through this too. It creates this element of belonging that makes it easier for me to move away from coping and into a place of living. From coping to living. That's where I want to be. And that's where I think most of us want to be. And it seems so impossible because we allow the weight of stress to hold us down into one spot. So if we took coping out of the picture altogether, what would that mean? Well, I think that coping is a sign of disbelief. So if we were to remove coping, I think it would be a sign of faith in its purest form. What if you actually read scripture and you prayed to God as if he were listening? Radical faith is believing that God is creating something new in you. That Listen, if he didn't need to do a total transformation, then the Holy Spirit could show up quarterly just for updates. But the reality is the world is always going to be trying to hold us back. Offensively engaging with Christ's plan is what makes us develop habits that put Christ first. Okay? What if you created habits that put Christ first? All right, I'll tell you, I've got a habit. I've got one. I know there's so many. I've got one that helps me to extend grace and love to others. I've got one habit. (laughs) I should have like 50. I have one. One. That's it. All right, so if I'm interacting with someone, an adult, say the same age as me, and they say something and my brain begins to go to thoughts of reactivity, judgment, um, defensiveness, criticism, I simply do one thing. In my head, quickly, I will picture them as a 12-year-old. 
I don't know how I came up with a 12-year-old. I think that 12-year-olds represent like this honesty, this truthfulness where like they're not out to get me. Um, and so I think of that, that adult as a 12-year-old. And I think to myself super fast, would a 12-year-old be trying to get me? And of course, the answer every time is no. So immediately, I reframe, I radically reframe that situation, and I see them as a child. And I don't mean that demeaning and rude. I just, for me, I know that I am more compassionate with children than I am with adults. If a 12-year-old comes up to me and says, why are you reading that book? I think of it as they're inquisitive. They want to know why I'm reading the book, and then I tell them. If an adult comes up to me and they said, why are you reading that book? I automatically assume that they're, that they're judging me for reading that book. So my automatic radical reframe is I just put everyone in the place of a 12-year-old. And I find that immediately I'm not triggered. Because the truth is, people are going to trigger you all the time. They're not going to know what your triggers are. You can't hold them accountable for things they don't know exist. The only people who know what your triggers are are typically the people who helped you build them. That's it. Okay? All right, let's move on. So coping. I don't think you need it. In fact, I think that when you're coping, it's your way of trying to move back into a sinful state in which you are taking care of yourself, therefore rejecting the providence of God. FYI, you are designed to be relational. You are designed, and when I say that, it's not just with other people and socially, you're designed to be relational with God, and that includes a dependence. Newsflash, codependency is literally something that we as believers do. And yet modern psychology wants you to move away from it and be as independent as possible. Codependency in the psychological world has a negative context. So to be someone who copes well, which doesn't exist. So let me rephrase it. To move from coping to actually living. Okay? To move from coping to living is, I want you to picture this. It's like when Aristotle described the people who were in the cave looking at shadows, believing that was real life, until one of them left the cave and saw that, holy cow, all those dudes are over in the cave. That's how I view coping. Coping's in the cave. Living is outside of the cave. So here's the summary, guys. Here's what you got to understand. There's no need to try to reform something that is wrong to begin with. Okay? That's like me trying to reform gluttony into positive gluttony. It doesn't make sense. It's a waste of your time, a waste of your energy. And Satan uses wastes of our time and waste of energy to distract us from seeing God. We have to either choose to avoid stress or we have to choose to engage stress. The awareness is life is stressful. 
I was thinking about this the other day because my kids, you know, Asher started high school. I am more stressed than he is. He goes in, he's having a good time. School gave him a free iPad. He's like, this is amazing. He's loving high school so far. My daughter's in middle school, and my youngest is in, in elementary school. And you would think they own the place. They love it. I'm the one who's always stressed out. And when I get stressed out and I acknowledge it, I have the awareness that that stress is building up, and I'm, I am fabricating unrealistic things happening because it's what happened to me. I was bullied as a kid. I was called names. I think that that's going to be their reality, and I don't know that it is, but Satan wants me to believe that it is, so that takes up time, energy, and space that I'm not working to live and grow in Christ. Here's a takeaway, at least for me. This week, my takeaway was do not be consumed and build a structured plan of attack for things that don't matter. Sometimes we can see that we're not going to win the battle. And sometimes we just convince ourselves to keep fighting because it keeps us busy. And busyness is one of those forms of coping that we don't see coming. If you like what we're doing and you want to support it, rate us, give us some stars if you like it, and most of all, share it with other people. Thank you.